The Gonzaga Bulldogs are pursuing another guard to add to next year's roster, but now that Paul Mulcahy and Joe Toussaint have found new homes, the options are starting to run out. Where will the Zags turn next? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Well, folks, hope you all had a fantastic 4th of July. We got some NBA Zag talk coming up today. We're going to take a look at some new contracts signed by both DeMontis Sabonis and Rui Hachimura. We're also going to talk about Chet Holmgren's excellent return to the court in Summer League with the Oklahoma City Thunder. But before we get to that, the Zags are starting to run out of options in the transfer portal here. We know that they are interested in adding another guard. They have made that abundantly clear with the names that we have heard them connected to in recent weeks. They, of course, now have three scholarships open and available following the decommitment of Alex Tui. And while I don't think that they're going to fill all three spots with transfers, in fact, I doubt they fill more than one with a transfer addition. It might be a transfer and then a class of 2023 player, maybe an international guy, but I don't think they're going to add three more transfers. However, they're probably going to add at least one more. Looking at their rotation right now, yes, I think they have a squad that could be a solid eight to nine man rotation for next season. But I also think you're looking at a roster that could use more veteran experience in the guard rotation. We've talked about it a handful of times on this podcast. Some kind of Malachi Smith replacement, a third guard who can score, who can play good man to man defense. That's something that I think this team is lacking a little bit. Sort of depends what role they envision for Steel Venters, which sort of depends on the role they view for Jun Sakyo, the South Korean player who joined the team last year midseason. If he's ready to go, Venters slides to the two. Maybe they don't need as much help in the guard room. Also depends a little bit on Dusty Stromer. So there's a lot of factors. But what we do know is Gonzaga contacted Rutgers transfer guard Paul Mulcahy. They contacted and had a Zoom call with West Virginia guard Joe Toussaint. They've also reached out to Jeremiah Williams, a transfer who last played at Temple but spent last year at Iowa State while recovering from an Achilles injury. Paul Mulcahy recently committed to the University of Washington. Very strange fit there, mind you, alongside Mulcahy and Severe Wheeler. But regardless, he was my top choice in terms of fit for Gonzaga in the transfer portal. Still, he is no longer in the picture. As I'm recording this right now on July 4th in the afternoon, Joe Toussaint has not made it official where he is going to go. By the time you're listening to this, he almost certainly has. He promised he was going to commit on the 4th of July. Hasn't happened yet as of this recording, but he is down to three schools, Pitt, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Again, by the time you're listening to this, he is committed to one of those places. Either way, it's not Gonzaga. So Mulcahy and Toussaint, two of the top tier options for Gonzaga in the transfer portal, have gone elsewhere. I'm not surprised by that. And I think the key here, Gonzaga is not looking for the best player available in the transfer portal necessarily. They are looking for a player to fill a specific role. And I think we've seen some concern. I saw it a little bit on Twitter, seen it in a few other places, seen it on the new Discord channel, which check that out. I have a a, a link to it in the show notes here if you want to join that as we watch Twitter circle the drain. Regardless, 
people are starting to get concerned that there have been a handful of names connected to Gonzaga and they haven't landed any of them. First of all, Gonzaga has probably contacted hundreds of other players that they don't land. Your success rate is not 100%. It's not even 50%. It's not even 30% for the most part. And I think being concerned about a few players not choosing to go to Gonzaga is just silly, if we're being perfectly honest, especially in a situation where Gonzaga is not just looking for the best player available. Like I said, they are looking for a player to fill a specific role. I don't know the exact details of how they envision this role. Again, it depends on what they envision for Dusty Stromer and for Steel Venters and for Jun Sok Yo. And right now, it's kind of those those pieces of that puzzle are, are hard for us to determine without seeing practices, without seeing kind of the work that those guys are putting in and, and where Mark Few is lining them up. But they do clearly have something in mind because they wouldn't have contacted Mulcahy and Toussaint and Williams and all these other guys if they didn't have a role in mind. But Paul Mulcahy is going to play it more, more at Washington than he would have played at Gonzaga. Toussaint, regardless of which of these three schools he ended up at, he's going to play more there than he probably would have at Gonzaga. So I don't think there's any real reason to panic here because I think Gonzaga is just trying to find the best player they can that is willing to play the role that they envision for said player. Mulcahy maybe didn't want that. Toussaint, again, Gonzaga was in that kind of top five-ish conversation, but ultimately he decided to go somewhere else as well. So now we have to figure out what Gonzaga is going to do next, because I don't think they're done. I also don't think that they're going to just jam this role with whoever they can find. If they don't find somebody who they think is going to fit the role, they may not fill the role. That might lead to them, you know, adding somebody else from the class of 2023 again, going international, maybe trying to find a transfer who fills a different role on the roster. Who, who knows? But they're not just going to pick whoever they can. Mark Few is not. He's pretty particular. He's picky. And he should be. He's got a dang good basketball program, and he shouldn't fill anybody in that role unless he thinks they're really going to help. There are a few names available in the transfer portal still that I think could fit this role, including one who we know Gonzaga has already contacted. That is Jeremiah Williams. I spoke about him at length on Monday's episode of the podcast. If you have not checked it out, go back in your feed. Check it out. Again, wherever you get podcasts, it is also on YouTube. But a quick primer, Jeremiah Williams, six foot five guard, good defensive instincts, played two good years at Temple with the Owls and the A-10. He transferred to uh, Iowa State last year, suffered an Achilles injury, did not play the entire season after the year, hit the portal again, committed to Iowa, decommitted from Iowa, and is now on the transfer portal market. Gonzaga is one of, I think, nine or so schools that has reached out to him. Health concerns are still there. He may not even be healthy for the start of the season. We don't know a full update there, but he fits the bill as a bigger guard with decent scoring ability and high-level defensive instincts. A few others that I've talked about on recent shows as well, Javon Quinterly and Noah Williams. Again, you can go back two of the five episodes last week were about those two players in particular, Quinterly from Alabama. I don't think he would take the role being offered at Gonzaga. We haven't even heard that Gonzaga has contacted him, so I don't think that that's a super likely one, but he is probably the best guard available right now, just in terms of pure talent that is in the transfer portal, but he's undersized, and his defense is good, but not necessarily elite, and I just don't think he fits a role that Gonzaga really needs. Noah Williams is a better fit. He's six foot five. Uh, he seems like he would be more, maybe more amenable to a third, fourth guard role, not necessarily a starter, not necessarily playing 25, 30 minutes per night. 
he's the right size. He's from Seattle. He's only ever played at Washington State and Washington. Maybe he wants to go hit up Gonzaga for another year of eligibility there. Again, more detail on him on, I believe it was Friday's episode last week. And then a few other guys that I'll just kind of rapid fire mention here who are still available in the transfer portal, who I think could be fits, who I wouldn't be surprised to hear Gonzaga connected to at some point. One of them is Jalen Carey out of Rhode Island. Carey was a top 100 prospect who went to Syracuse, transferred out of Syracuse, played the last couple of years at Rhode Island. Six foot three guard, averaged 10 points, five boards last year. Damar Langford from Boston College, considered one of the better transfers available right now in the portal. Six foot five guard. So again, he's got that size that I think would be really helpful for Gonzaga to add to their guard rotation. Spent the last three years at Boston College in the ACC last year, averaged about nine points, four boards and two assists. He is not a good three point shooter, but uh, if the if the Zags feel like his defense is something that could really help this program. And again, playing three years in the ACC probably helps him be prepared for the talent level in the WCC. So he'd be another one to keep an eye on. And finally, Jordan Campbell out of Fresno State. Uh, six foot four guard, not really a great scorer. If we're being perfectly honest, he started his career at Oregon State, spent the last couple of years at Fresno State. An okay scorer, but he is a very good defensive player, very tenacious, very physical point of attack guy. I think he's also played five years of college basketball. He only played three games in one of those years. So I wonder if there's some eligibility concerns. Does he need to apply for a waiver? What does that look like? Some of that stuff I'm not privy to. Uh, he's listed as being an available player in the portal. If he is, I think Gonzaga, if they're running out of options, certainly could add him and expect that he could give them eight to 10 minutes per night of, of really solid defense. Although I don't think he's bringing much on the offensive end. There are other players out there to be fair that to be clear, this is just a small list of guys that I think are available. Some that we know Gonzaga has contacted some that we know uh, might fit those roles, at least for this program next year. But again, Mark few is very picky. If he doesn't find somebody who fits the role that he wants, he may not fill that role. And if that happens, we'll end up talking about what that would mean for this team going forward for now though. It's time to talk about Chet Holmgren because Chet Holmgren had a full highlight package, just one summer league game. And he already put together a minute long highlight reel video. His return to the court after missing a year with a foot injury, more on his performance after a word from today's sponsor FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing and there is no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to join today. Zach fans, the MLB All-Star Game is in Seattle this year. And guess what? FanDuel has lines for that as well. So if you're watching, you're enjoying seeing the Seattle sunshine for the MLB All-Star Game, you want to bet on some player props for that game, go ahead and do it. Uh, again, don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners who check us out on YouTube. You want to become an everyday listener? Just go ahead and hit that subscribe button on YouTube. We got more fantastic stuff coming your way this week. We'll continue to keep you updated on Summer League. We're going to talk about the WCC, some of the additions that league has made. We'll keep you updated on Bonnie E. Jim playing uh, with Team Canada and the Olympics right now. All sorts of fun stuff going on here on Locked on Zags. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can become an everyday listen. For right now, though, I want to talk about Chet Holmgren. Because after 11 months without playing in an actual basketball game, he missed his entire rookie season with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Of course, we know that he suffered the foot injury during the Jamal Crossover Pro-Am event in Seattle last year at Seattle Pacific's campus. The floor got a little bit too hot uh, and it was sticky and he unfortunately was going up contesting LeBron James. As I continue to point out every time I talk about Chet Holmgren's injury, he did successfully stop LeBron James from scoring. Not that it really matters, but it matters a little bit that that was the case. Unfortunately, suffered the foot injury, missed the entire rookie season. He's back, got in some summer league action in his first game with Oklahoma City against the Utah Jazz. 15 points, nine boards, and four blocks. And I think that this game was a nice kind of Rorschach test in the sense that people who were low on Chet Holmgren, and you folks know that there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people out there who will never believe that Chad Holmgren is going to be a good NBA player. They immediately watched this game and determined what they had previously determined. They said, nope, Chet's not going to make it. And the people who are very high on him, who believe in him, watched this game and thought, yes, he's back. And I think that's kind of a humorous anecdote about this game of just people are going to see what they see. And Chet did do a little bit of both. And I think that's kind of the, he didn't have an overwhelmingly 100% clearly positive game. He also did not have a complete disaster of a game either. So people took from the game what they wanted to take from the game. His first half was not very, or excuse me, his first quarter was not very good. He did not score in the first quarter. He airballed a layup. He dribbled a ball off his foot. He looked like he was a little rusty. He looked like he was pressing and he acknowledged it. He had a quote after the game where he said, I wanted to come in and play aggressive right away. I didn't want to return to the court and be timid. And so I came in, I played aggressive and I made some mistakes. I'm paraphrasing his quote, but that's effectively what he said. And I get it. And if it only took him one quarter to, to kind of figure it out, that's pretty darn good. And guess what? In the second quarter, he scored 10 points on five of seven shooting. So it turns out he was fine. He just needed one quarter to kind of get his feet under him. Um, and then, then he turned out to be just fine. Four blocks, like we said, one of them was a absolute volleyball spike, two-handed thunder block on Keontae George, the former Baylor point guard who's now with the Utah Jazz. George thought he had a clean clean look at the basket. Chet came out of nowhere and blocked the crap out of that shot. Had, again, a handful of other blocks as well. Did extremely good at attacking closeouts. He only took one three-pointer, but the fact that he is a threat to shoot makes him so dangerous because, and if you watch the highlight package, there's tons of them on YouTube you can find. Most of the time he catches a pass, he turns, he pump fakes, gets the defender in the air or gets the defender on skates a little bit and drives right past him. That's what we mean when we say the phrase attacking closeouts. He was really good at it. He attacked closeouts, secondary defender came over, he made a move, got around them, scored on a lay-in. This happened multiple times. A few times he attacked a closeout, secondary defender didn't come quick enough and he just hit a 16-foot jump shot. I mean, it's beautiful basketball for him to be showing that offensively while blocking multiple shots in the other end of the floor. I just don't know how you could have watched this game and thought, yeah, he's not going to be it. Was it perfect? Of course not. 
Would you expect perfection from a guy playing in his first basketball game in 11 months? I hope not. I sure didn't. I was thrilled with what we saw from Chet Holmgren. He's got many more games of summer league to play. Certainly still some, some kinks to iron out some stuff. That's going to be uh, probably challenging for him in summer league and in the NBA. He's not going to be a perfect rookie either, but he's, he clearly showed that the skill set is absolutely still there. And he talked about his injury after the game and his quote was extremely encouraging. He said, and this is a direct quote here, the foot feels great. It's like the injury never happened other than everything I had to go through, obviously. But at this point, if you erase my memory, I wouldn't know that anything had happened to my foot other than the scars from surgery. But conditioning wise, there's millions of hurdles that you have to go through in the process of returning to play. Not being able to play a game for a year, it's really, really hard to test and see where you are. I love this quote. I love Chad Holmgren quotes. I like the idea of him imagining a reality where he wakes up and doesn't know that he was ever hurt, but just has a huge scar on his foot. I think that's a humorous way to think about this, but it's encouraging that he doesn't feel any ill effects from the injury right now. Certainly that could change. I would imagine that that's the kind of injury that may bother him at times, but he's not feeling it right now. He's just trying to get back into the conditioning and the ebb and flow of playing full games. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen for him right away. That's why we see him playing summer league. That's why we see him playing big minutes in the summer league because he needs to get that back. I have a ton of confidence he's going to do so. And I'm thrilled and excited to watch what actually happens for him in his rookie season here with the Thunder. There's a couple other Zags playing in the Summer League. I want to touch on them real quickly here. Only two of them have played so far, but of course the Summer League just started. That would be Joel Ayayi and Philip Petrusev. Both played against each other. Ayayi with the Memphis Grizzlies. That's who he's playing Summer League with this year. Petrusev, of course, with the Philadelphia 76ers. They are hoping to sign him to a contract so he can play in the NBA for the first time consistently this season. Uh, Yayi played 13 minutes for Memphis. He had two points on one of two shooting. He also had two boards, two assists, a steal, and a block, doing a little bit of everything as he does. He also had a pair of turnovers. Joel didn't get much of a look last year, unfortunately, in the NBA. Bounced around a few different teams. Has continued to play productively in the G League. Feels like a guy who's just kind of they call them quad A players uh, in, in baseball where you're between triple A and the major leagues. So quad A, four A. Joel feels kind of like that, like a guy who's going to continually do really well in the G League, but isn't quite at the level to be a consistent NBA player. Hopefully he'll get another look this upcoming season, whether with Memphis or somebody else. Petrusev played 21 minutes for Philadelphia. He had nine points on two of five shooting, and he was five of eight from the free throw line. One of Petrusev's best skills at Gonzaga was drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. I suspect that's a skill that's going to carry with him at the NBA level. He's just got to prove he can knock down those free throws at a 70 plus percent clip. He also had six boards, two assists, and a block. He also had seven fouls because summer league doesn't count fouls. Uh, obviously something he's going to need to work on is getting in better defensive positioning, learning how to use his body to not commit fouls. Uh, there's a difference between college level. There's a difference between uh, high level European leagues and the NBA, just in terms of how they call fouls. Uh, and so that's going to be an adjustment period for him. The other Zags who are on summer league rosters as of right now, Andrew Nempard with the Indiana Pacers, Julian Strother with the Denver Nuggets, Drew Timmy with the Milwaukee Bucks, and Malachi Smith with the Portland Trailblazers. None of those teams have debuted. I'm excited to see all of those guys participate in the summer league, although I don't think we will see much from Andrew Nempard. This is a guy who started 63 games in the NBA last year, had 30-point performances, 
was very close to being an all-rookie second-teamer. I think they'll give him some run, but I think that ultimately Indiana's not going to play him a bunch in the summer league because they just don't need to. Strother, Timmy, and Malachi should all get serious run with their respective teams, and it'll be fun to see how those guys perform. We might also see some other Zags who potentially could play in the summer league at times. Rasir Bolton makes sense as a guy who could get signed to a summer league roster, although as of this recording, he has not. Killian Tilly's still not sure the exact situation there. As far as I know, he is in France, so I don't know if that's something he is interested in or if there are teams out there calling. But, of course, he's played in the NBA very recently, so you would think he might get a look there. Uh, G League guys, Ryan Woolridge, David Stockton might get a look up there. Uh, Kevin Pangos, another player that I think could get a look, depending on his contract situation right now overseas. Well, we're going to close out the show discussing some other NBA Zags, although guys who are far from playing in the summer league anymore. That is DeMontis Savonis and Rui Hachimura. Each of them signed new monster contracts with their respective teams. We'll cover that coming up right after this. All right, folks, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Moving over to segment three here, still talking about Zags in the NBA, but instead of talking about summer league, we're going to talk about guys who have graduated out of the summer league, who are making real NBA money, starting with DeMontis Sabonis when free agency started last week for the NBA. DeMontis Sabonis quickly signed a new extension with the Sacramento Kings for five years and $217 million is the new figure for Domas right now. His agent said it's $195 million in new money, so that's what they restructured the contract to get him some more money long-term for the next upcoming season, 23-24. Domas is going to make $30.6 million. It's important to note that while most players of his caliber are signing max deals, in fact, players who are not of his caliber are signing max deals. Domas is better than many players who have signed max contracts already, but he intentionally did not take the max contract. He worked with Sacramento's front office and agreed to a smaller amount of money than he could have made in order to help Sacramento build a roster around him. This is not that unusual. James Harden signed a smaller deal with his team. I believe Giannis Antetokounmpo signed a smaller deal with Milwaukee at one point. Sometimes players choose to sign deals because there's a max contract in the NBA. There's a maximum amount of money you're allowed to pay certain players. Domas could have easily said, I want a max contract and I'm just not going to settle for anything else because I'm an all NBA third team player. Uh, I was one of the most productive centers in the NBA last year, three-time all-star, and he would have totally deserved it. But he chose to restructure his contract in a different way in order to help Sacramento put more talent around him. This is a man who led Sacramento to their first playoff appearance in 16 years last year. Very cool to see him do this, to continue to care about this team's success and how they ultimately can do around him, around De'Aaron Fox, around Keegan Murray. This is a, a young, talented team that I think is only going to continue to get better. And now they have a little bit more financial flexibility in part because of his decision. Uh, Savonis averaged 19.1 points, 12.3 boards, and 7.3 assists last year. Just obscenely ridiculous numbers from Sabonis. He was all NBA third team, like we said. Uh, second in the NBA in triple doubles behind some guy named Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets. And in fact, Sabonis is one of two players in the history of the NBA to finish a full season averaging 12 or more rebounds, five or more assists, while also shooting 60 plus percent from the field. The only other player to ever do that was Wilt Chamberlain. 
Granted, last year, Nikola Jokic did shoot over 60% from the field. He did average more than five assists, but he averaged 11.8 rebounds. Still, Domas is still the only one to do it besides Wilt. So we're going to, until until Jokic gets up over that 12-rebound hurdle, so Sabonis is the only player to ever do that besides, again, Chamberlain. Really, really cool stuff from Domas. Excited to see what he does in his second full season with the Kings. And finally, wrapping the show up today, talking about our guy, Rui Hachimura. Rui signed a three-year, $51 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. Not a, not a surprise here. We knew Rui was going to get a chance to explore free agency uh, after last season, but it always felt like the Lakers were going to try to bring him back. And, and I, understandable, he was very, very good for the Lakers after coming over in that Washington Wizards trade, a trade that already looks just horrible for Washington. The Lakers traded Kendrick Nunn, and three second round picks to get Rui. Just not nearly enough of a return for a player who, who came into to the Lakers and helped. I mean, the, the Lakers were in 12th place in the Western Conference. 12th place when they acquired Rui. They also made a handful of other trades. They got Jared Vanderbilt. They did some other stuff. They got rid of Russell Westbrook. All of that led to them steamrolling a bunch of teams in the second half of the season, moving into a playoff picture, and then having a really successful run through the playoffs until Denver ended up beating them. This team, or they beat Memphis. They looked fantastic in the playoffs. And a huge part of that was the production of Rui Hachimura. Rui had 33 games for the Lakers. These were just regular season games. 33 regular season games, nine of them were starts. He averaged 9.6 points and 4.7 rebounds. Then when the team got into the playoffs, playoff Rui was activated and he set the dang country on fire with how well he played in the playoffs for the Lakers last year. 12.2 points. He shot 48.7%, not from the field, 48.7% from three. He was absolute cash from beyond the arc during the playoffs last year. He's the first Laker to score 20 points off the bench in multiple playoff games since Magic Johnson. Heard of him? Probably. He also scored 29 points against the against the Grizzlies, the Lakers' single-game record for points in a playoff game coming off the bench. And here's the deal. Rui's probably not going to break that record. Do you know why? Because the Lakers are going to start him. The latest report coming out of Los Angeles is that Rui is expected to be a starter for the Lakers next season. You could make an argument that this is maybe not the best thing for Rui because he's now going to share a lot more minutes with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis. Rui was really good last year as a second creator for the Lakers, a guy who had more of a focal turn offensively because he was coming in for LeBron James. He was coming in as a member of the second unit. I'm not sure I buy that. I think Rui's really capable of playing whatever role the Lakers need him to do. Would he score less on the floor with LeBron? Probably. But LeBron is also basically a point guard and is a facilitator. LeBron views himself like Magic Johnson in the sense that he wants to help other players get good looks. And Rui is a really good corner three-point shooter. That's one of his biggest strengths in the NBA. So playing alongside LeBron, floating to the corner, finding open looks, LeBron you know, still commands a ton of attention when he drives to the hoop. If he can kick it out to Rui, Rui's knocking down open threes that way, attacking closeouts. I think this could work really, really well. We saw it last year. It did work really well at times. So I'm extremely excited for Rui, extremely excited for Sabonis, extremely excited for Chet. It's going to be a really fun NBA season. Excited to watch the rest of the summer league, see how guys like Petrusive and Joel end up doing. Uh, as they make cases for themselves to make NBA roles. Of course, same with Strother and Timmy and Malachi Smith as well. This is a, a Strother's got a pretty safe NBA roster spot going into next year. Of course, so does Andrew Nemhard. Drew Timmy and Malachi Smith do not. 
in any capacity. They do not have safe spots. And so how they perform in, in summer league is going to say a lot about their chances of being NBA players next season. So we're going to cover all of that throughout the month of July as we see how the summer league stuff shakes out for the Zags playing professional ball. But that is going to wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for making Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Again, more summer league stuff coming your way, more updates on Gonzaga's three roster spots and what they may or may not do with them all coming up later this week and into July right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Again, available wherever you get your podcasts available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. But for now, I want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, as always, go Zags.